Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll have a segment about sports betting and gambling in general. We have a couple of segments courtesy of 10TV. Their weekday morning team of Angela Ann and Pete Scalia talk to Columbus Police Chief Tom Quinlan. And then Scott Light will have a roundtable discussion about various political issues. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with Kimberly Schwind from Ohio AAA about vacation planning and their annual travel expo that's coming up next weekend at the state fairgrounds. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone is Derek Longmire, who is the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. How about yourself? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio is. Well, we're a statewide nonprofit organization focused on making sure that folks that have problems with gambling get the resources that they need in order to make themselves happy and safe, as well as their family and their larger community. And it's a good time to talk to you with this being Super Bowl Sunday. This must be, is this the biggest gambling event that we have? Well, this is really the kickoff to what we call the the sports betting season with the Super Bowl then running through March Madness. And as we look at the calls to the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline as kind of a marker, uh, we know that we get more calls during this time of period than we do any other time throughout the year. So certainly something to be focused on. Is this kind of a starting point for some people? Are there people who look back and think, you know, it was the Super Bowl eight years ago. That's when I kind of went off the rails. It certainly can be. So when we look at gambling in general, we know that the earlier you start, the higher risk you'll be. So um, certainly as we have um, hearing stories of people um, doing sports bet with their their children, we don't recommend that. That's uh, really um, good indicator that they could have a, a gambling problem later in life. So yeah, it's these events that start out being fun and social that can turn into a problem down the road. What is exactly problem gambling? What, is there a specific definition for it? Well, it and it varies pretty greatly. So there's problem gambling, which could be anything to uh, I've spent more money than I wanted to or I've gambled longer than I planned to, to I meet the diagnostic criteria for disordered gambling. So there's a pretty big range there as to what that can look like. But we know that the earlier we can get folks the help that they need, the, the better off they'll be, and that will also uh, prevent um, greater damage later on. Is it a consistent uh, number of, uh, you know, a percentage of people from, say, state to state that are affected by this? Um, nationally, we're about 2% of the population that would meet that diagnostic criteria for um, a gambling addiction or a disordered gambling. In Ohio, we're about 1%. And we did a survey before the casinos and racinos opened in 2012, and that showed that about 5% of uh, Ohio adults would meet that um, the criteria for having a gambling problem, so that much more broader um, topic. And after the casinos and racinos opened, that number nearly doubled. So certainly the more access you have to gambling and the more uh, individuals participate in it, the more problems that will come. How big of an industry is it in Ohio? It's pretty huge. If you think of just your communities and uh, just driving by, you're going to see Ohio Lottery ads. When you go into your convenience store to get your morning coffee or get your, your gas, you're going to see ads there. Uh, certainly big billboards for the casinos and racinos throughout the state. And then there's the online element as well with um, little pop-up ads for free casino-style games and things like that. So gambling is, is pretty prevalent in Ohio, both legally and through illegal markets as well. 
It's so interesting to me how, I guess it was back in the 90s when there were several statewide votes to allow full-blown casinos in Ohio, and it became a a huge battle, kind of a moralistic battle. Uh, Governor George Voinovich at the time was kind of leading the charge against it, and it was defeated several times, and then once they appeared in Ohio... Then there was just kind of an explosion without, it didn't, didn't seem like there was a lot of blowback as it continued to expand. Well, once you get to that, that tipping point where gambling is pretty well accepted and part of culture, then that's where yeah, you don't get that blowback. And we as PGNO are neutral as it comes to gambling and gambling expansion. Uh, our focus is making sure that those who have problems get the resources that they need. Uh, so certainly looking at sports betting as kind of that next big wave that we'll have uh, just wanting to make sure that we've got those consumer protections in place to uh, to make sure we mitigate some of that harm. And sports betting is on its way to Ohio un- inevitably, eventually. What is, uh, what's that looking like right now? It's clear we'll have a sports betting bill at some time that we'll go through. Um, kind of unclear as to what that looks like now. We've got a bill in the Ohio House and a, another bill in the Ohio Senate um, there's pretty significant differences between those two bills, so it's really unclear as to how uh, we'll move forward as a state, whether um, the parties get together and decide to pick one bill and go with it, or if they'll look to introduce something new. But it's been pretty clear from my meetings with um, both representatives in the House as well as those in the Senate that they want a sports betting bill, and the governor's been pretty clear as well that uh, he wants it regulated through the state reg- legislature, and he doesn't want a ballot initiative. So we'll get something some sometime. Uh, it's unclear as to what that will look like or when it will come. Is there still kind of a sticking point about which body will oversee that industry? That is certainly one of the big challenges uh, in looking at the two bills. The House bill would have the Ohio Lottery Commission serve as the regulator, and the Senate bill would have the Casino Control Commission serve as the regulator. And as we look at the the rationale for both, it's really, I mean, you can see both sides. Um, as we look at it from a consumer protection standpoint, it's our view that the Casino Control Commission would um, be a, a much better entity to do that regulation for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, their sole responsibility is regulation, where the Ohio Lottery Commission really has to walk that tough line between promoting gambling as well as self-regulating. And then the second piece that we think that the Casino Control Commission would be the best fit is that as we look at um, gambling products and the complexity that sports betting is, that um, the Casino Control Commission just has more experience with uh, looking at those those complex things, whether it be poker or roulette or craps, um, with the table games, whereas with uh, the Lottery Commission, they they set things just on probability. So there's not... much nuanced uh, pieces of regulation uh, as compared to the Casino Control Commission. Talking with Derek Longmire, he's the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. Neighboring states are ahead of us on this issue, right? They certainly are. So as we're looking at the state, uh, we've got Indiana that's legal now. Uh, We've got Pennsylvania, Michigan's moving along. So we're certainly kind of being uh, circled by sports betting avenues. And I really give credit to our state legislature for taking the time to figure out what works best for Ohio and it, not just following the money and jumping right in. And folks who live in western Ohio near the Indiana line, do they still have to go into Indiana to, in order to do sports betting? How does that even work? Yeah, so it's very interesting today with our technology and the geofencing that 
is now set up. So within Indiana, you're able to sports bet, but you have to do so within the bounds of Indiana. So if you're just on that Ohio border, then they're going to say um, you can't access it. So, uh, and that's one of the other aspects that we're looking at from the, both sports betting bills in Ohio is that it would allow for mobile sports, sports wagering, which certainly adds some nuances and complexity with the geofencing as well as ensuring that uh, we have the right people that are playing and certainly keeping those young people away from particularly mobile devices. So if you're doing, trying to do online gambling from Ohio in Indiana, is it using some sort of GPS technology to block you out or what? Yep. So you have to um, kind of mark your location in order to get onto the the legal aspects. Now, there's certainly other avenues for the, the illegal ends, but then within that, those geographical bounds, they know whether or not you're in Indiana or if you're somewhere else. Wow, that's interesting. Does it look like in Ohio, then, once it becomes legal, that means what? You'll be able to go to a website and bet on Ohio, on Ohio State football or the Browns or the Bengals or whatever? And that's certainly one of the areas. It's looking to go that direction. Another one of the sticking points related to this legislation is to who would be eligible to be bet on. So professional sports have been very clear that that would fit in. Uh, what's less clear is the collegiate or amateur sports. Um, such as, So collegiate sports, easy, and then amateur sports like um, World Cup or uh, the Olympics. So that still needs to be hashed out, but it, it looks like with kind of where we're heading that it would include collegiate sports as well. And uh, it could be either doing so on your computer or uh, in the palm of your hand with your cell phone. So it really provides access to sports betting opportunities 24-7. Talking with Derek Longmire, Executive Director, Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. I've read stories about how the science behind casinos is kind of uh, fascinating, the way that, you know, the bells and the whistles and the lights and the energy and you know, the cheap drinks, uh, everything that tries to make an experience in a casino get your adrenaline going, which can help you want to stay there longer. It seems like online sports betting will not have some of those elements in it, but at the same time, they might have an element that kind of pumps yourself up thinking, I'm smart, you know, I'm good at sports betting, and, and you kind of pat yourself on the back and give yourself more motivation to do more of it. Well, certainly the the styles of play are different. However, there are some really common things that we see uh, related to in-person gambling at a casino or a racino or uh, what you might find on a mobile device. And while there may not be quite the same um, completely encompassing lights and sounds, they still, the developers work really hard on keeping you engaged. And we see this not only from gambling aspects, uh, but also as we look at kind of gaming as well. And we have our 17th annual Ohio Problem Gambling Conference, which will be coming up um, February 20th and 21st. And uh, while the gambling conference has traditionally focused pr predominantly on gambling, which makes sense, the gambling conference, uh, this year we're also going to talk about the gaming to gambling aspect. So as we look at games such as Fortnite and others that have um, certainly gaming, but then uh, avenues to gambling with loot boxes and microtransactions and things along those lines, we're really seeing that blurring of the lines between gaming and gambling. And a lot of that comes to 
the the work that uh, the casino manufacturers or the the gaming manufacturers have come up with, and to really get folks engrossed in their product and play for longer and longer periods of time. And this is your 17th annual problem gambling conference. It must be important uh, to keep up with technology and you know what's going on. Learn more about it and how to deal with it. Well, as we look at 17 years ago when the conference began, we had no casinos in Ohio. We had no racinos in Ohio. We didn't have uh, Kino. So it really was pretty much the lottery and then whatever illegal um, type betting might be going on or just betting with friends. So we've seen a a big change in the landscape of gambling in the last 17 years. And I can only imagine what the next 17 will bring. If folks want more information about that conference or want to get involved, how do they do that, Derek? They can go to our website, pgnohio.org forward slash conference, and they can also call um, our phone number at 614-750-9899. Okay, and that's February 20th and 21st. I wanted to ask you, too, though, about the signs and symptoms of problem gambling. Uh, Your website also addresses that. Absolutely. So we know that uh, the majority of folks that gamble do so without a problem. Uh, it's a small portion that, that, that have a gambling problem and participating. So that's really the, the population that we want to reach. Those that either might be having a problem or those that do have a problem. So really thinking about the type of gambling that you're doing and uh, how are you paying for it? Uh, it's our recommendation that you only gamble with cash. Uh, don't borrow money from friends and certainly don't put it on a credit card. Um, and think about the the stories that you're telling with your friends and family. Are you lying about how much time or money you spent with gambling? Are you hiding the amount of time that you're um, playing or hiding bills or unpaid debt? So really thinking about the actions that you're participating in and are, is, is it fun? So that's really the, the big marker to think about if someone is really deciding whether or not they have a problem. If they're still playing and it's not fun anymore, then that, that's a pretty good sign that they might need some help. It can get a grip on somebody just like the opioid epidemic, right? Because we, you know, we hear stories about how people will become thieves and their whole personality will change being driven by trying to feed this addiction. And the same thing can happen with gambling. Absolutely. And as we look at our brain chemistry, as folks gamble, the the chemistry of their brain changes, and it's very similar to cocaine use. So uh, as we look at gambling, uh, gambling disorder is within the same chapter in the diagnostic diagnostic manual as um, substance use disorders are, uh, because it really does impact that brain. And that's one of the hard things for folks to kind of wrap their head around is, okay, if somebody has a gambling problem, then why don't they just stop? And they don't really understand that they can't. there's certainly habits are uh, related to it, but also um, it's just be hard, been hardwired into the brain. Is it fixable? Absolutely. So we are very fortunate in Ohio that we have treatment providers that are certified in um, treating gamblers throughout the state. And uh, depending on where you are in Ohio, uh, your gambling treatment will either be free or very low cost. So uh, 2% of the casino tax revenue is set aside for um, the problem gambling prevention and treatment. And uh, we have funds that come from the Ohio Lottery Commission as well to help support that. So resources are available and certainly help and hope are available too. Okay. And where do folks uh, turn for help? The best place to turn for help is the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline. And that number is one 800 
589-9966. There's specialists available 24-7-365, so 1-800-589-9966. It doesn't matter when you're calling, somebody's going to be there to uh, talk to you uh, and get you those those resources that you need. Talking with Derek Longmire. He's the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add, Derek? One other thing that I would like to mention is the state website uh, that we have focused on um, getting set before you bet, and that is get set before you bet. And you can go to beforeyoubet.org. And if you're thinking you may have a problem with gambling and aren't quite sure, or if you have a loved one that might have a problem, you can go to beforeyoubet.org. There's a quiz that you can take there. It's quick nine-question quiz to really uh, give you a sense as to where you are and then also direct you to those resources. And again, always the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline is a great resource and can get you local referral um, specialist at 800-589-9966. Okay, great information. Derek Longmire with the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wounds? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My, my son shot his brother. I don't Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of 10TV, here's their weekday morning team, Angela Ann and Pete Scalia, talking with Columbus's new police chief. This interview was conducted about a week and a half ago on their morning news. The words from Tom Quinlan when he officially became the next police chief of Columbus. We've only just begun to engage our neighborhoods. We've only just begun to nurture enduring relationships with community members, advocates, and our remarkable partner agencies. So this morning, we are sitting down with the chief to talk about how he plans to lead a division of more than 1,900 police officers. Chief, good morning to you. Good morning, Angela. Good morning, Chief. We appreciate you being here. So uh, you're a month in now, right? I am. And, uh, of course, Columbus Police, two former vice officers were fired over the Stormy Daniels mm-hmm. arrest. Um, we know that there is another uh, vice officer facing some state and federal charges. The FBI is getting involved in this, a probe looming here. We had some stories about the vice unit and corruption there. How can CPD move on from this? Well, again, as I said during one of our public forums, if we mess up, we're going to fess up and clean up. And that's what you saw happen here. Uh, we changed our core values to include integrity and accountability. And that's, this is what that looks like. You know, transparency seems to be something that you really wanted to do from the moment you became interim chief. And we were just talking the break that, you know, regardless of the title, that was kind of the plan that you set up almost a year ago. It is. That's exactly what I want to do, both internally and and outward Mm -hmm. facing to the public. So I make sure our folks are are more informed as well. So because you disbanded the vice unit um, and wanted to kind of start and and try something new, this packed unit, uh, there have been some people in neighborhoods who said because there's no longer a vice, they're seeing more crime coming back to their neighborhoods, prostitution, human trafficking. So how has PACT made an impact in terms of 
making neighborhoods safe. We're getting really positive feedback from the community leaders in the areas, the Hilltop and the east side and areas where we've seen a lot of uh, crime related to prostitution. We're getting good feedback that they like the new approach. The officers are visible. They're in a uniform. They're, they're, they see presence, police presence in their neighborhoods. So it's really, I, from the feedback I'm getting, it's going very well right now. And Chief Quinlan, obviously you're going to need you know, more officers. You've mentioned recruiting and also uh, being more diverse on the port force. Have you Very found important. it, though, to be challenging to recruit uh, when it seems to be there aren't as many applicants? That's a challenge. So what we're doing is taking a 10-year strategy to build our recruiting base from within our neighborhoods. We're working with the elementary schools, uh, with a partnership with COSI and the Police Foundation. We're working in the middle schools and the uh, high schools with our youth services and school resource officers. We have a cadet program now where we're transitioning people from 18 to 21. So we have a pipeline now where we're trying to build the diversity from within our neighborhoods. But beyond that, too, though, it's also building trust with the community. And I I feel like that that has been a huge challenge in many years now for not just Columbus Police, but really uh, law enforcement across the country. So what are you doing in terms of building that trust? Because there was a study that just came out about use of force and race. And it wasn't, you know, very... It highlights flattering, yeah, yeah to Columbus mm-hmm. Police. Okay, I, I understand that, and we're we're accepting where the where we're at today and where we want to be in the future, mm-hmm. and taking concrete steps, building a leadership team to to develop the right policies and the right procedures for us, mm-hmm. for our community that the community wants to make sure we uh, shape the the police interactions the way the community wants them. So those are the interactions, uh, you know, again with the community that you mentioned there. Um, with the de-escalation training you've talked about, what about within the department itself? As far as the de-escalation training? Yeah. Oh, relationship? We're, Mm -hmm. we're, again, one of the things we weren't communicating as well within the department. We had a a daily bulletin that was Mm -hmm. 30 years ago when I came on. It was the exact same format, everything the same. Nothing had changed in 30 years. We have a completely new daily bulletin now where officers are now, just like what we put out on our social media, pictures and and uh, incident recaps that's all going out to officers now every day and they're getting information they can use when they come to work and see what's going on what happened the last 24 hours and they can make real-time decisions based on what's going on uh, in their parts of the city at that time you know it's our job as media to hold people in your position accountable same with the public they will hold you accountable how are you going to hold yourself accountable to what you're promising i put everything that I'm doing in a plan in writing and I create target dates and I show I meet every month with the the director and the mayor uh, individually and together Mm -hmm. and make sure that the accountability accountability points that I set in place are met and I meet every uh, daily with my staff to make sure who's doing what to stay on schedule for the, the challenges that we have to face. Those are your benchmarks. I, I have right. solid benchmarks set in there in writing. Great. All thank right. You. Well, Chief Tom Quinlan, thank you so much for being here this morning. And, of course, as members thank of the you. community, we certainly do wish you the best. Yes. Thank you, Pete. Sure. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so thank much. You. Courtesy of 10TV, that's again Angela Ann and Pete Scalia, the morning team at 10TV. 
Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of 10TV again, here's Scott Light from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Here's Scott. Well, from Ohio's capital to the nation's capital, we've got impeachment, we've got state issues, and history in the making happening across the U.S. Today, we're going to break down what the impact could be for you and your family. Good morning to you. Welcome to Face the State. We're glad you're with us here on another Sunday. I've got some great guests here this morning as well. Let me introduce you to them right now. We welcome new Upper Arlington City Council member, Michaela Burris, who is also an attorney. Brent Swander's back at the table, Vice President of Columbus Realtors and a veteran politico who served in the Bush 43 White House. Amanda Wurst has run communications for various campaigns and for former Governor Ted Strickland. She is Vice President of Rem- Road Group and a veteran voice in Republican politics and former Mahoning County Republican Party vice chair Tracy Wimbush is back with us as well. Good morning, all. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to have you here. Let's begin with this: the 47th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, the historic ruling to legalize abortion. Also, the Justice Department sided with our state to outlaw physicians from performing abortions based on a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Let me put a quote here. This is what the Justice Department said when its ruling came down. Nothing in Ohio's law creates a substantial obstacle to women obtaining an abortion, and nothing in the Constitution or the Supreme Court precedent requires states to authorize medical providers to participate in abortions that providers know are based on Down syndrome. Amanda, why don't you start us off here? This is not over by a long shot nationally or in Ohio, because this is uh, this case is probably still going to be heard by the full sixth Circuit mm-hmm. Court of Appeals, right? Mm-hmm. Were you surprised That's, by this? No. This okay. is, I mean, the Ohio legislature has been doing everything it can with a narrow focus to get legislation into the judicial system so that this can go to the Supreme Court and with the ultimate goal to overturn Roe mm-hmm. v. Wade. That's very clear. Um, you know, I think if this legislature uh, addressed education with uh, with the same intense focus that mm-hmm. they focus on abortion, we'd probably have the best schools that are actually constitutionally funded. So it would be really nice to see our legislature <laughs> take on and direct some of this energy towards something that would actually move our state forward. Amanda Worth throwing the darts here right <laughs> out of the gate. We love that. We love that. Tracy Winbush, uh, the president that you support, he was the first sitting president on Friday to personally go to the March for Life in Washington, D.C., um, it, it, tell me how, how you view this flashpoint in politics uh, when it comes to abortion. I think that we need to listen and hear. We do need to overturn Roe v. Wade, but I don't think that will happen. I think that's just futuristic. Hmm. But I do think that we need to go back to a moral compass and we need to quit promoting abortions across the nation as though it is a solution. In addition to listening and hearing, we should also learn. You mentioned that we're celebrating 47 years since the Roe v. Wade decision. 
Before that, we lived in a society where women did not have access to safe and legal abortion. It's important to know that we've never lived in an abortion-free society. We've always had women seeking them out, whether they want to terminate a pregnancy for mental health or physical health reasons. What we have had since Roe v. Wade is vehicles for women to be able to get them safely and legally. And because they can, they're not dying. But we are, we have aborted more African Americans than we have birthed. And when you look at the declining population of the African American community, just to use them because I know them best, it is a travesty because those were lives that we have taken that could have been productive in our community. And we need to understand that what has happened, abortion has been turned into a political football that no one wants to deal with. I applaud President Trump for taking a stand for what he believes, whether you agree with it or not. There are learning points that I think a lot of policymakers need to go to about the why are, what is the root cause? Mm -hmm. Um, And it is issues that are also really policy and politically hard to talk about, such as when do you provide access to birth control? Do you do that in high schools? That, I mean, that's an incredibly divisive topic, but it is one of the ways to prevent abortions by stop by studying unintended yeah. pregnancies but also teaching women's health i mean it, teaching self-control well, knowing it, it, when to say no but not putting yourself into situations that you're going to get pregnant in teaching people how to date again so that we don't have problems with sexual misconduct knowing how to approach people all this goes into the problem that we have with misaligning ourselves inappropriately in sexual matters in america today it, it is a complicated issue when you were talking about health and we're talking about societal issues in the intersection of politics and, it's and not policy. Just a Republican and Democratic issue. Last last year in Louisiana, you actually saw a Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards, mm-hmm. sign into law um, mm-hmm. a Republican passed bill in the legislature, Louisiana, a heartbeat bill in Louisiana as well. So that was a Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards. Let me do this. A headline and kind of a lead sentence in a story from the dispatch. The headline said this, House Bill 6 referendum effort dead. And then the lead line in the story was, one of the most expensive, divisive statewide ballot fights in Ohio history ended in meek Surrender. Brent, start us off on this one. Was this HB6, when we look at this financial rescue of coal plants and nuclear plants, if, you, if we strictly look at it through our political lens, was this just an unequivocal win for House Speaker Larry Householder? Yeah, you have to give it to him. I mean, the House Speaker, Speaker Householder is, um, is I, I use the word, political ninja. I mean, he's, he's very, very good. Um, it's a $1.1 billion bailout, right? Um, Gene, Gene Pierce's comment uh, reminds me, when giving up on the referendum fight reminds me of a presidential campaign that you just run out of resources. Um, and, and that's where we are with, with this. This is one of the most contentious fights um, that we've seen in a long time. There was um, a, a kerfuffle, if you will, up at the mm-hmm. Dublin Library that you saw. Um, and this House Bill 6 really brought, brought together some strange bedfellows. Uh, you, had some, you had you had some <laughs> yes. very, very I limited. I believe I called it bizarro. Yeah. 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 You had you yes. had you had environmental groups and you had um, unions, unions, yeah. and very very conservative. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of really kind of weird. It, it, was, it was weird to see the strange bell. You couldn't go into twenty that way. This, this 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 brought together. So. Well, and two, the other bizarro part of this. Do we remember the commercials? Oh, God, uh, don't yeah. Yeah. China, China take yeah. over your Ohio power grid. And I think that was part of the problem though too, because no one really believed what they were saying, people were coming up to me like, 
what does this have to do with China? <laughs> yeah. just right. Trying to, for, for, you know, Bob sitting in Marietta, like, what does this really mean? Right. And House yeah. Bill 6 really isn't about Speaker Householder or the bedfellows. We really should be focusing on what it represents in terms of basically a democratic failure. You know, you get gerrymandered districts that elect hyper-partisan candidates. You have utility companies giving lots of money to these political candidates who are elected, who then have their petition language certified by an office holder who benefits from the same broken campaign finance and electoral system, only to have to raise or find 200,000 plus signatures mm-hmm. just to even get on the ballot. Right. Voters aren't being heard. And that's ultimately what saddens me. I would really like to see an electoral process that addresses the issue of dark money in politics, oh which is a product mm-hmm. of those TV ads, mm-hmm. of those mailers, of even a petition drive where I was harassed at a public event. You know, somebody following me about China taking over our utilities right. and harassing me. It Don't happened sign to me. That yeah, yeah, it happened to me. So, you know, that's who's really losing. So we here. want truth in advertising. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I mean, would you disagree dark, that so truth and democracy and truth, truth in politics is a truth, good thing? We need truth in America, but nobody wants the truth. So why do we lie about the truth, but nobody wants to handle it? We don't want the truth because we don't want to fix the problems because we don't care anymore. Hmm. I disagree. Democrats are really huge proponents care. of We're campaign finance now. reform. It's about power, money, influence. It's not about but isn't people. That, that's 360 in politics, though. I mean, but, that's Republicans uh, but, but it's Democrats, supposed to be about the people. It's we the people. And the people are undereducated, underfunded, underknowledged, and they are losing. And none of us really care. So we elect people and we use them as political football. We talk about all this stuff. But at the end of the day, nobody really wants to help the American people, the Ohioans, or the electorate. Because if they did, we would educate people. But I think, too, though, if, if, if this was a political win for Householder, it, to your point, I think this, this doesn't pass the smell test. I mean, it looks like that people with money got access mm-hmm. to the Speaker of the House and to those in we charge. We don't even have information that is accurate unless you go and find it. Because mm-hmm. remember, no one actually gives people the information that they need so that they can discern the facts for themselves. It's all political opinion. I've talked about the House Bill 6 on the show before, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of, you immediately... <laughs> went away until just, you know, there was another flashpoint now. Right. And I think there is, you know, of, you know, because in that bill also were things, changes on the renewable portfolio standards. You know, there were a lot of things that we could have a, a very robust conversation about. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the things is making sure that big issues that do impact people, impact literally their electricity bills, are more of a sustained conversation, mm-hmm. not just these when flashpoints come up. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. Speaking of paying the bills, I need to pay a bill here with <laughs> advertising. Let me take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. We'll talk about debt that is crushing millennials, their parents, and recent college grads. We'll talk about that next. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV. 
Man, our conversations <laughs> just continue during the commercial breaks, don't they? <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Hey, you talk to just about anyone out there, students, millennials, parents, and educators, and they describe the state of student debt as a crisis. Look at, the, look at those zeros. $1.5 trillion in student debt, and it's only growing. And then Thursday, we got this study about Pell Grants. So it was a study by the group Education Reform Now. And you know what? They called out Ohio. They said seven Ohio schools had less than 20% Pell-eligible grant students. And Miami University has the second lowest Pell Grant enrollment of any public school out there. Let's talk about that. All right. Not to call anybody out here today, but raise your hand if you do have student debt. Oh, Lord. Are okay. you kidding? <laughs> um, when you see something like that and you see Pell Grants that aren't going to students who really need them. I've got a Democrat here and i got a Republican here. Brent Swander's back at the table, Vice President of Columbus Realtors and a veteran Politico who served in the Bush 43 White House. This is a crisis we've got to solve here together, isn't it? Yeah, so Pell Grants are really important for social mobility, Yeah, right? I think uh, Miami University, I believe it was Miami University, released a statement talking about once once the underprivileged get into college, they have a very high success graduation mm-hmm. rate. Mm-hmm. And they that's do. important. Very high number. So yes. I think when we yes. tie those two together, that's what's important is making sure that they have access to those Pell Grants so that they can succeed and, and climb up that social ladder. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really important on, on the Pell Grant side. But when you're looking at a $1.5 or $1.6 trillion student loan debt, um, you know, I still have student loan debt. I, I pay um, several hundred dollars a month. I am a, I come from a single mom. I love my mom, but she's a single mom in Van mm-hmm. Ort, Ohio, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a ton of money growing up. So um, I still pay the vast majority of my college and think about what I could do with those several hundred dollars a month at, at my age. Because um, it's not going out in the economy. Yeah. So not only am I paying on my student loan debt now, I'm still tr- I'm trying to save for my two-year-old daughter in exactly. the future. So. Right. Upper Arlington City Council Member Misha A. LaBurris, who is also an attorney. You we have a, a much deeper conversation. <laughs> yeah, you were a scholarship athlete. Yeah, full scholarship st- full athlete. Full scholarship, and then go to you, but you factor in undergrad, law school, and same economic boat here. Oh, absolutely. And I also was a Pell Grant recipient. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a low-income family and I'm first-generation college, and I certainly respect the conversation that we should be having concerning financial responsibility and literacy. We're certainly not doing enough in K-12 through education to make sure that young people can appreciate the debt that they take on. Right. That being said, our entire generation was sold the promise that if you go to college, get good grades, and work hard, there'll be a good job waiting for you. And there wasn't. There was a recession. So not only did we not have that good job after undergrad, many of us stayed in school and solicited professional degrees with the hope that things would turn around and we just took on even more debt. Mm -hmm. So you have an entire generation of people who have insurmountable debt, have the inability to economically plan. And quite frankly, it's just presenting a crisis because our economy will stagnate if an entire new generation of wage earners aren't able to spend. Right. Yeah, because we have a a spend economy. I mean, it's 70% consumer spending. Amanda? Amanda Wurst has run communications for various campaigns and for former Governor Ted Strickland. She is vice president of Remington Road Group. Yeah, I mean, I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, and I I mean, even thinking about what their future will bring is terrifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I luckily, they're both very smart kids, and we just say, let's hope they get those scholarships or 
I also talk about welding a lot. But I think that actually that is, and, and, and that is Absolutely. because yeah. those certificate programs um, and a lot of the work that's being done across the state at community colleges in particular is where everyone should be looking at yes. for innovation. Um, between being very responsive to what is happening in the region's economy to doing those five six, eight-week certificate programs mm-hmm. um, that are responsive to the direct needs of who's hiring today. Um, I, I think, you know, the community colleges, public-private partnerships where they are creating environments where students can go at, lo- at low to no cost, those are really what I think the whole, entire higher education system needs to look at the community colleges and take some notes. Absolutely. And, so you know, we've got a rock star. Camp. We've got a rock star here in Columbus State. I mean, in terms of really what they're doing, and plus their 2 plus 2 program, where if you want to go get that associate's degree and, and go from there, you can, or you can get two years at Columbus State and then go on and to... And there's to, also to, college to, you know, Former Mahoning County Republican Party Vice Chair, Tracy Wimbush. This is America, and we're going to have to teach Americans how to be Americans, and that means entrepreneurship. We're going to have to teach people how to survive with or without the education and to make it happen and make true grit happen. Our kids need to be doing this. We need to teach them money. We're not teaching them money. We don't teach them economy. We don't teach them currency mm-hmm. at a young age. So how can they have a value of a dollar when we try to tell them to be consumers, but we don't teach them how to be producers? But you can't be an entrepreneur without ideas, and that is the value of an education. That's, that no, is the greatest social not, investment that we can make is in ideas. Education does not give you that information. You have to have access. You need to know what you want to do before you go. It's also a socioeconomic issue, too. When, it is. It when, is. you know, we've pushed kids to go to four-year colleges mm-hmm. to make sure that you go get that education. Right. When you can graduate from high school and go get a degree uh, or a certificate and become a mechanic or a plumber. I mean, working for the realtors, understanding our, our collaboration with the builder, the BIA and the builders, we need skilled trades, mm-hmm. and we need them desperately. I know electricians <clears throat> and carpenters and plumbers who are making eighty to $120,000. With no business, no no student loan debt. We need to teach our children how to do hard work. That's not light load. Mm -hmm. You can't go become a plumber and then realize carrying a water heater up and down a pair of steps. Mm -hmm. They're not going to do that. We've got to teach our kids how to work. Mm -hmm. What's your point to that? And the work ethic goes from beginning until now. But you just can't go to college, get an education, and get a job. Sometimes you may have to go back to do plumbing after you have a degree. Yeah. And work it out. Let me. Primary election season now is just a few weeks away. It's not just your vote that'll be hotly debated between now and November. It's the security of your vote. That was Secretary of State LaRose, and he said recently Ohio will have secure elections this year. As a matter of fact, he had this quote uh, pretty recently. Hey, newsflash, Vladimir Putin is not in your voting machine changing your vote totals. However, I want to put another quote on the screen here because we learned when it comes to Ohio election security that the state Democratic Party has teamed up with the fair fight pack. And here was a quote from this pack. If Republicans like Brian Kemp, John Husted, by the way, Kemp, the governor of Georgia, Husted and Frank LaRose can learn from one another about how to disenfranchise voters. Democratic operatives also have to share their expertise across state lines about how to fight back. Amanda Wurst, um, the, the, uh, the kind of a sub headline under the fair fight pack is that this is Stacey Abrams pack, mm-hmm. of course, who ran for governor of the state of Georgia. She's being talked about already as maybe a VP candidate on the 
Democratic ticket. She'd be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, and I think that, you know, in terms of election security, um, I, this year I voted on a paper ballot. It, the counterintuitive to the technolo technological advances we've had are really for voting to go back to paper, which was it was a very different experience. I, as um, you know, I'm a very well-informed voter and was not really expecting the process, but it was great. Our elections officials did a great job. Another uh, bipartisan um, initiative that's going on at Ohio and in part of the conversation is automatic voter registration. And there may be a ballot initiative on that. There's also been um, some legislation introduced, but that makes voting or registering to vote an opt out mm -hmm. instead of an right. opt in. Right. Um, and it can be done when you're already in organically engaging with the government in some way, usually through um, when you renew your license. Can so I think anything We got to tweak it because of, of, of some things, but I, I think it's a good idea. Huh. So this goes back to a November article. Voting rights advocates applaud Ohio efforts to increase election security. And this goes on to talk about the League of Women Voters applauding what Secretary of LaRose, Secretary LaRose is doing, spending uh, $14.5 in election security. Secretary LaRose is today, right now, in Israel because he was invited to talk to one of the biggest and best cyber tech conventions about election security, to talk about what he has done in Ohio, um, specifically on cybersecurity. This, the notion of disenfranchising voters in Ohio just really grinds my gears a little I'm, I'm bit. Hug you? <laughs> <laughs> because you can you can you vote for, do that. for thirty days without questions asked. Um, you know, if you look at some of the other states, California, uh, Delaware, Tell them to go to Connecticut, New York. yeah, New Pennsylvania, York. Michigan. These are some of the hardest states to vote in, and yet we One talk day. about exactly in no early voting. Um, and so we talk about disenfranchising voters in Ohio, and I just think it's really disingenuous. Frank LaRose has put in a 34-point plan, to Amanda's point that she was talking about, a 34-point plan that all 88 um, boards, county boards of election have to adhere to by January 31st. And almost every county has participated and, and got up to standards. Last week there was a, a session held by the Secretary of State's office where... I attended. Uh, I'm a go. board member. Yeah, so um, the FBI was there. Yes, we had um, lots of people there. there yeah. Great, great turnout. Um, so what he is doing, uh, what Secretary LaRose is doing in terms of election security and allowing people the ability to vote is tremendous. It's being applauded by groups like League of Women Voters and uh, allowing everyone equal access to vote. Let's go through those 34 points um, right now. No. <laughs> Last word to you here Last on the election. Last word for me? Yes, election security. Wrap this up. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to see the Democratic Party and Stacey Abrams' PAC making that investment. I did voter protection protection work on the Obama 12 campaign. And honestly, it's some of the most rewarding work that you can do. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. The goal is to make sure that your vote will be counted and casted on Election Day. So it really isn't a partisan issue and never should be. And the more people that vote and have access to voting, the greater our democracy is mm -hmm. and the more reflective it is of everyday people. And I think that's why you see uh, Secretary of State uh, uh, Jocelyn Benson and Secretary Frank, Secretary of State Frank Laura is working so, so well together. Mm -hmm. Um, thanks, folks. This was Thank a you. good one. Love the energy. Oh, Loved everybody's <laughs> comments this morning. That's again Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Opiates has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything. 
I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth, spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. <laughs> This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Kimberly Swind, who is the Senior Manager of Public Affairs for Ohio AAA. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell tell me, uh, what area does your office cover? Uh, Well, AAA Ohio Auto Club actually covers 38 counties here in Ohio, so it's a little confusing. We actually have six AAA clubs here in Ohio, but, you know, to the member AAA is AAA, and so you can still get your same uh, benefits throughout the country. So uh, all the different clubs work together. We're a federation of clubs really trying to um, provide the same benefits and service to members across the country. How many AAA members are there nationwide? Any idea? There are 60 million AAA members nationwide. We just hit our 60 million mark last year, and so it continues to grow. Wow, that's amazing. And on uh, back on January 28th, just a couple of days ago, you, that was National Plan for Vacation Day. What was that all about? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, the U.S. Travel Association's National Plan for Vacation Day. It's a time that you should put aside to start to plan for your vacations. And the reason for this is the U.S. Travel Association finds that more than half of American workers are leaving vacation time on the table. And so you're actually donating that work time. Uh, In 2018, American workers left 9% more vacation days unused than the previous year. Many of these were forfeited completely, which cost an individual workers an average of $571 in donated work time. So you're leaving money on the table. You know, not taking your vacation also takes a toll on your family, your worker productivity, your stress level, and your overall well-being. So, you know, we're really encouraging people to, to plan for their vacations. The best remedy for, you know, leaving that vacation time on the table is to actually plan vacations. And so that's what National Plan for Vacation Day is all about. And it's always, you know, the end of January, which this is really the peak vacation booking season of the year, January and early February. And the U.S. Travel Association is kind of behind that national plan for vacation day. And obviously, they want a piece of that pie, which would in turn help the economy a lot. Folks who can afford to take a vacation who are given up those days uh, might want to rethink it. Yeah, that's definitely right. You know, it, it, you know, if you're spending money on vacation, then you are stimulating the economy, whether you're traveling in the U.S. and stimulating our economy or, you know, a lot of the, if you're especially in the Caribbean, the Bahamas, um, you know, they thrive on tourism. That's what their economies are built on. So many places really rely on travelers to come and visit them. Um, so, that, you know, there's really a lot of benefits both personally and, you know, to the economy uh, for traveling. And some of those places, like the Bahamas, uh, one part of it just devastated by that hurricane, while other areas survived rather well, and they are dependent upon tourists to come down and kind of kickstart getting that back on track. 
Yeah, they need people to come visit. You're right, because then that helps to stimulate their economy and and can help them rebuild. Now, in uh, conjunction with this National Plan for Vacation Day, AAA uh, put out some advice about vacations, and that can actually dovetail rather well into what you have coming up, which is an annual event. Yeah, that's right. So we actually have the AAA Great Vacations Travel Expo coming up February 7th through the 9th, so just a few days away. It's at the Ohio Expo Center in Columbus uh, at Kasich Hall, and it's really a one-stop shop for everything related to travel. It's a place where you can plan your vacation and book it on the spot. So we have over 150 exhibits, events, and attractions. We have travel experts from around the world. So whether you're looking for a close to home vacation or, you know, an exotic getaway, a cruise, you know, just really any type of vacation that you're looking for, we have the travel experts from those destinations uh, there at the expo. Um, And on the AAA travel stage on Sunday, we have our big headliner, Josh Gates, who's the host of the Discovery Channel's Expedition Unknown. He is back by popular demand. He, this is his third time at the Expo, and so we're really, really excited um, to have him there. You know, he is an explorer, an archaeologist, and just goes on some amazing adventures, and he's going to be there to tell us all about it, and then he'll be available. Um, he's on the stage at noon on Sunday, February 9th, and then following his appearance, uh, he's going to, to be available for autographs and, and meet and greet. So it's a great place to, to get ideas to actually plan your vacation. And then again, we have our agents there. Um, you can book it right on the spot. You know, uh, one of the neat things about that, too, is that if even if you don't dive in and book a vacation or get real serious about it while you're there, I remember one year when I was there, I picked up a bunch of brochures from all the booths and everything. And one day at home, I was kind of looking through them. This was many, many weeks later. And I came across the one for the the train that goes through the Cuyahoga County National Park out of Akron. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go there. And (laughs) within a couple of weeks, I went there. It was great. That's great. Yeah. See, so you can just get ideas. I mean, there's so much to do and see um, with all of the different vendors and we have different stage presentations. We actually have two stages. Um, We have the AAA travel stage presented by Royal Caribbean and then the Destination Showcase Theater, which really showcases specific destinations. Um, But, you know, there's there's just so much to do and see at the expo that you're right. You can go there and get ideas and, you know, maybe later in the year when you're you're looking for a vacation, maybe you're not ready to book right now, um, you have those ideas and you have those contacts and brochures. Speaking of trains, I remember talking to somebody there about one that uh, runs across Canada even. Uh, There's just a lot of neat ideas there that, that people might not think about normally. Yeah, that's definitely right. You know, and, and last year, one of the big um, popular vacations was Alaska. So Alaska is growing in popularity. So, you know, there there are train opportunities in Alaska if you take, you know, a cruise and tour or just a tour around Alaska. Um, so that was kind of one of the up and coming destinations. And we, we find that Alaska is going to be making another big showing this year at the show as well. Talking with Kimberly Schwind from AAA, their Great Vacations Travel Expo is February 7th through the 9th at the State Fairgrounds or the Expo Center. Uh, what, so what kind of a plan should people make if they go there? What, what should they be looking for or doing? 
Yeah, well, it depends on how serious you are about booking a vacation. You know, so we have people in all stages of of vacation planning. So let's face it, you know, vacation planning can take a while. You don't want to really rush into something, especially because you know vacations can cost money. Um, so you know, if you are just there to browse and get ideas, then that's great. You know, just come and uh, you can just walk around and take your time. And again, there's lots to to do and see at the expo. Whether you want to just walk around and talk to vendors or um, come sit down at the stage. We also have the AAA Explorer Store where you can actually pick up free maps and tour books to all different destinations. Um, if you're looking to purchase um, uh, travel or luggage or um, you know any merchandise for your travels, we have a store in the expo where you can purchase that. Um, so for people that are a little bit more serious about booking, you know, they're almost ready. They kind of have an idea of where they want to go. You want to come and talk to the experts and book it at the show to take advantage of some of the expo-only travel deals. You know, we recommend that you make sure that you have all the IDs necessary, you, you know, your credit card, your passports. Don't forget your passports if you're going to be booking an international trip. Um, you know, every all the documentation that you need, um, you want to have that if you plan on booking a trip. And if you don't have a passport, you need that new enhanced driver's license by this summer, right? Yeah, actually by October 1st. October. So, yeah, don't wait um, because, you know, you'll probably run into some long lines the closer we get to October 1st. Um, and you're going to need that, that new enhanced license, the compliant uh, license, as they call it, uh, to even fly domestically starting October 1st. It seems like the number of Americans who fly, either either the number or the percent of Americans who now fly on vacations at least once in a while is greatly higher than it was maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, so I don't have the numbers as to what it was 20 years ago, but we do find, you know, a lot of people, um, especially recently, you know, when we look at, at the economy, when we had the recession, we saw a huge dip in travel overall and the number of people taking big trips that would require uh, a flight. And so really over the last, you know, decade or more, we've we've seen those numbers climb up. And so as the economy's improved, we see people spending more money uh, in general on travel because, you know, they have that, that disposable income to spend and, and they want to travel. And so they're spending it on t different trips. And so a lot of those trips do require flights. So, yeah, you know, we do see as the economy is better, we see more people flying and more people taking bigger, longer trips. And the boomers are retiring. I saw a number that it's something like 10,000 a day nationwide that are retiring. Yeah, and they have that disposable income and they have that time to travel. So uh, definitely seeing, you know, a lot of them taking advantage of that. Uh, a lot of them like to do river cruising or motor coach tours. And um, so, you know, those have been growing in popularity. Uh, we've seen a lot of multi-generational travel. So grandparents, you know, taking their grandkids on trips as the, the parents are working and the grandparents are retired and can take their grandkids on trips. Um, so, yeah, so we've seen, you know, kind of a shift in, in different areas of travel, but uh, it has definitely grown since, you know, really 2009 when we were in the depths of the recession. Talking with Kimberly Schwind from Ohio AAA, the Travel Expo is February 7th through the 9th at the Expo Center or the fairgrounds. Uh, is it a kid-friendly event? Yes, definitely. You know, we encourage people to bring their whole family out, 
get the kids involved in the vacation planning. Saturday is actually Kids Day. Um, so we're going to have the Columbus Zoo on stage at 11 o'clock. Uh, we have Irish dancers that are going to be on stage at 1 o'clock. Uh, we also have a passport for prizes activity where you know you can pick up a passport and visit different expo booths throughout the show and get it stamped and turn it in uh, to enter to win a Lake Erie Shores and Islands family weekend getaway. So, you know, that includes tickets to Cedar Point, a hotel stay, uh, boardwalk bucks, $25 or gift certificate to Toss Ice Cream Parlor. Uh, so just a really fun family vacation. And so really a good idea to, to bring your kids and to get them involved and get them excited uh, in vacation planning. All right, and how do folks find out more about it, Kimberly? You can visit AAAGreatVacations.com. Okay, great information. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.